Our first reading is from Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 13, and this can be found on page 971 in the Church Bibles. Matthew, chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes? from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is Psalm 1, which is on page 543. Psalm 1 page 543. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It would be great if you'd uh, have that psalm in front of you. It's on uh, page 543. It's our, as we start a new series for the summer in the psalms. 
Well, I imagine all of us have had that experience when we have been deeply embarrassed and wanted the ground to swallow us up. And the reason may, in fact, be due to what a well-meaning friend is doing. Jesus' very important words recorded in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, our first reading read by John Crabtree, were the trigger for my awkwardness at a party when I was a student. You remember the words, you can see them. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, these uncompromising words of Jesus are challenging enough, but my friend had invited his student friends to his room to celebrate his 21st birthday. And I noticed in one corner an easel with a board on it covered up. When the party had got going, my friend whipped off the cover and began to teach these verses, revealing a diagram illustrating the broad and the narrow way. Now, I respected hugely what he was doing, except we had no warning he was going to do it, and it was simply the wrong context. The party consisted of a few like myself. I was a very new Christian and quite a number for whom this was too much in their face. They needed to be in a place where they had a chance to hear and understand properly what was being said. But the fact is that Jesus' teaching is uncompromising and challenging. Again and again, Jesus faces us with a choice. Now, Psalm 1 is similar to Matthew 7 in that it offers a choice between only two possibilities— Two ways to live, that's what I've entitled this sermon. Two different consequences from that decision. The contrast is between those who believe and trust in God and those who live without any reference to God. There is no third way, no neutral ground. So let's look at the first way, and I've called it the way of true happiness. If you look at the yellow sheets, the notice sheets on the back, there are some headings there. The way of true happiness, the first three verses. You will only find true happiness, says God through the psalmist, if you first avoid a number of errors. And here they are. Walking in the counsel of the, of the wicked. That is, ordering your life according to what those who do not believe in God tell you. Standing in the way of sinners, that is, modeling your behavior on those who do not acknowledge God. Sitting in the seat of mockers, that is, surrounding yourself continually with those who cynically scorn God or make fun of those who follow him. By contrast, as John Stott puts it, the godly do not model their conduct on the advice of bad people. Further, the godly do not linger in the company of persistent evildoers, still less remain permanently among the cynical who openly scoff at God. You and I are called to be countercultural, to resist all that stands against God, and it can be lonely. Many of you may be in offices, staff rooms, teams, or committees where you are the only Christian. It's not easy to avoid those described by the psalmist as sinners and mockers. In his excellent short commentary on this psalm, 
Dale Ralph Davis. Uh, his commentary is called The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. I love that. The Way of the Righteous in the Muck of Life. Dale Ralph Davis cites the story of the lady who was 104. And she was asked, what was the best thing about being her great age? She replied, no peer pressure. <laughs> Don't you think that's delicious? I just chuckled away when I, I read that. And of course, that's why coming to church regularly is absolutely key. And being a member of some kind of small group is also so helpful. For it's only as you spend time with other Christians that your thinking can be put straight and kept in alignment with God's ways. That is the first part of finding happiness. It's about the company you keep. And the second step in finding the way to true happiness is about the voice you listen to. The voice is God's voice, and he has wonderfully given us his word in which we are to delight. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, when the psalmist talks about the law of the Lord, he meant the first five books of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And they explained why God made the world, how sin came into it, and why, as a result, we now live in a broken world, the broken world that Cassa so helpfully led us in her prayers. It has narratives and stories about wonderful people of faith like Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. For us, of course... The law of the Lord is much more than these five books. It's the whole of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I mentioned the other day Paul's injunction to the young leader, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, about how vital Scripture is. First, because it gives us all we need to know about the salvation of ourselves. Second, God uses Scripture for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And he describes it, and I use that word again, it's useful. Many people think you're wasting your time reading the Bible. And the Apostle Paul says, no, this is really useful. Psalm 119, if this was a quiz, I'd say, which is the longest psalm? It's the longest psalm in the Bible. Nearly every one of its 176 verses speaks of God's word in some way, either as God's laws, God's statutes, or God's promises. Now, key to any discussion of God's word is the need to obey it. When we do obey it, we read in Psalm 119 that we are kept from sinning, verse 11, that we're given strength, verse 28. We're given strength particularly at times of sorrow, We're given wisdom, verse 98, and we're given guidance, verse 105. And God's word is vital to our salvation and our spiritual growth. In Psalm 1, we read that the person is blessed who meditates on God's law day and night. And that is exactly what God told Joshua to do when he commissioned him to succeed Moses and lead the people into the promised land. Here is what he said to him. Be strong and very courageous. And I can hear Joshua saying, well, that's all right for you. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. But what is meditation? What is meditation? It is not emptying your mind of all thought. It's going over and over some verse of scripture until it becomes almost a part of you. Rick Warren famously says in his book, The Purpose-Driven Life, that if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Let me quote from him. For many, the idea of meditating conjures up images of putting your mind in neutral and letting it wander. This is the exact opposite of biblical meditation. Meditation is focused thinking. It takes serious effort. You select a verse and reflect on it over and over in your mind. If you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate. Worry is focused thinking on something negative. Meditation is doing the same thing, only focusing on God's word instead of your problem. And Warren continues, no other habit can do more to transform your life and make you more like Jesus than daily reflection on scripture. As we take time to contemplate God's truth, seriously reflecting on the example of Christ, we are transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. As we focus seriously on God's word and get to know it really well, we will not be surprised when trouble hits because Jesus promised that in this world we would have trouble but that we were to take heart since he has overcome the world. We will not be disappointed either in others or ourselves because in Jeremiah 17 we read that the human heart is deceitful above all things. We will not be afraid of the present or the future because Jesus has promised to be with us to the very end of time. Matthew 28. If our cells are to be refreshed and replenished, then like trees drawing water through their roots, we must draw daily on God's word. For our business life, our family, our social life, we need to have God's mind. As we meditate and read his word, we will find sure guidance and the certainty that we need. All right, I hear you say, I haven't got time. We always have time for the things we want to do. Here's a prayer from Abbe Michel Quast. It's called, Lord, I Have Time. And so all men run, run after time, Lord. They pass through life running, hurried, jostled, overburdened, frantic, and they never get there. They haven't time. In spite of all their efforts, they're still short of time, of a great deal of time. Lord, you must make, have made a mistake in your calculations. There's a big mistake somewhere. The hours are too short. The days are too short. Our lives are too short. You who are beyond time, Lord, you smile to see us fighting it. And you know what you're doing. You make no mistakes in your distribution of time to men. 
you give each one time to do what you want him to do. However rich or poor you are, we all have 24 hours in one day. You cannot buy more time. 365 days in the year, 24 hours, 7 days a week, 52 weeks in the year. And listen to that last line. You give each one time to do what you want him to do. God has given us all the time we need to do what he wants us to do. And nothing can beat the strength and encouragement that comes from daily meditating on his word. It's wonderful how again and again God has just the right word for the situation we're facing. Last Tuesday, for all sorts of reasons, was for me personally a particularly stressful day. And most nights before we go to sleep, my wife Trisha and I read from a little book written by the late John Edison, sadly out of print now. It's called Step by Step. Each day, it sets out a few Bible verses and gives a brief comment, concluding with a prayer. And last Monday night, before what I knew would be a challenging day on Tuesday, as Trisha and I prepared to pray, here is what the step-by-step reading said. A quotation from Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise from Philippians 4. And of course, I grabbed hold of it with both hands because it's true. What an encouragement it was. A coincidence, you might say. It's amazing how often the coincidences happen. So the way to true happiness involves the company we keep, delighting in God's word. And now the psalmist urges us to consider the wonderful results of all this. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And Dale Ralph Davis uses five nouns to describe the person who keeps the right company and obeys the voice of God. And they have the following qualities. Stability, vitality, productivity, durability, and prosperity. And John Piper, in a sermon on this passage, used three adjectives. Fruitful, durable, prospering. Well, I'm going to ask off of the man and one word. Uh, I think it encapsulates all of these, and that word is flourishing. Flourishing. You'll find, uh, in fact, a similar thought in Psalm 92. You see, the psalmist in Psalm 1 uses a picture of a tree to describe the man who has found true happiness. He's planted by streams of water, and Jesus used that phrase in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. This water of the Spirit, the living presence of God, is constant and never runs dry. It provides refreshment and vigor on a daily basis. So the person planted like that in the Spirit will never give up, will never stop growing, and at the right time in season will produce fruit. 
What does it mean when it says, whatever he does prospers? Listen to John Piper. Does it mean that if you delight in the word of God and meditate enough, your business will make a big profit and your health will always be good? Clearly, you and I know that to be wrong. But it goes on to say that it means a life whose labor is not in vain. That's what it means to be fruitful. A life whose labor is not in vain, but succeed in God's good purpose into eternity. The work that prospers is that which lasts into eternity. Now, whenever I've read this psalm, uh, I have the picture of a willow tree. That always comes to my mind. And the Wikipedia entry says of the willow that its roots are remarkable for their toughness, size, and tenacity to life. Willow trees grow, flourish, and continue to produce green leaves even as they get older. The believer, blessed by God, is like that. Because their roots go deep into God's word, they not only do not go under when troubles hit, they actually flourish. And did you note the word flourish? Still bearing fruit in old age. St. Michael's, we have some wonderful senior members, senior saints, who are just like that, flourishing, still producing leaves, producing fruit, seize the opportunity to meet one another to every opportunity as we can learn so much from one another. Billy Graham is in his 97th year, world-famous evangelist. Long after he retired, he kept on preaching. He's just published a new book in 2011, Nearing Home, and he wrote of his joy as he nears his true home in heaven. And listen to some of the chapters, chapter headings to get a flavor of the book. Running towards heaven. Don't retire from life. Fading strength but standing strong. A foundation that lasts. He's flourishing. Isn't that something we should learn from and aim for for ourselves? Now, I said at the outset there were two ways to live, and we've looked at the first. I've rather focused on that because there is an alternative to the true way of true happiness. The second way, in fact, is dealt with only quite briefly by the psalmist. And I've called that way the way of lasting regret. The way of lasting regret. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Now for those of you who are not agriculturally minded, chaff is the useless husk separated from the, horn, from the corn when it's winnowed or threshed. It's then blown away by the wind because it's so light. And it's come to mean that which is rubbish or worthless. And that is God's devastating verdict on those who refuse to acknowledge him. However great or powerful they may have been in this life, on the day of judgment they will not be able to, to withstand God's judgment. They will be blown away. They will be cut off from God's people. They are without hope for the way of the wicked will perish. Now, I wonder if that rings a bell for you from one of Paul's writings to the Ephesians. He reminded them of their former life as unbelievers 
And he described them in this way. It's a devastating way. He said they were without hope and without God in the world. Without hope and without God in the world. So the New Testament echoes and reinforces what Psalm 1 reveals, the tragic position of those without God. On the other hand, God watches over the way of the righteous, not that they're perfect, no one is this side of heaven, but they are those who, as the study Bible says, honor God and order their lives according to his will. And as we heard in Matthew 7, there is the narrow and the wide gates, the narrow and the broad road. And my friend was so keen for his friends to find the way to life that he was prepared even on his 21st birthday to make sure they knew about the choice that they had to make, either the way of true happiness or the way of lasting regret. And perhaps there's someone here today who knows that they have not yet made that choice, and it's a choice that they need to make, they must make. Can I urge you, as my friend did all those years ago, to choose life, to choose to follow the risen Christ who loved you so much that 2,000 years ago, as we celebrate with the bread and the wine, he died for you because he loves you that much. And for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, let us use the example of my friend's loving zeal and be determined we shall do all we can to show our families, our friends and colleagues the way to true happiness, lasting happiness. And don't forget the special week we have next year, it's on the board, February the 28th to March the 6th, which will be a great opportunity to do that wonderful moment of sharing. Clear your diary now for those dates. Don't let anything else get in the way, no skiing, no party, anything. That's a key week. Because, you see, from beginning to the end of Scripture, from the Old Testament and the New, we're given a choice. The way of true happiness or of lasting regret. Choose true happiness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the psalmist's honesty, for the promises of Scripture, the promises that you make to us. And we pray that we may indeed choose the path of true happiness and continue to walk along that path with your help and strength by your Spirit. No matter what others may say or think, that we may be faithful to you even as you are so faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen.